Book Second, Chapter Three of Ben Hur by Lou Wallace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Three. From the entrance to the Holy City, equivalent to what is now called St. Stephen's Gate, a street extended westwardly on a line parallel with the northern front of the Tower of Antonia, though a square from that famous castle. Keeping the course as far as the Tyropoean Valley, which it followed a little way south, it turned and again ran west until a short distance, beyond what tradition tells us, was the Judgment Gate, from whence it broke abruptly south. The traveller or the student, familiar with the sacred locality, will recognise the thoroughfare described as part of the Via Dolorosa, with Christians of more interest, though of a melancholy kind, than any street in the world. As the purpose in view does not at present require dealing with the whole street, it will be sufficient to point out a house, standing in the angle last mentioned as marking the change of direction south, and which, as an important centre of interest, needs somewhat particular description. The building fronted north and west, probably four hundred feet each way, and, like most pretentious eastern structures, was two stories in height and perfectly quadrangular. The street on the west side was about twelve feet wide, that on the north not more than ten, so that one walking close to the walls, and looking up at them, would have been struck by the rude, unfinished, uninviting, but strong and imposing appearance they presented, for they were of stone laid in large blocks, undressed on the outer side, in fact, just as they were taken from the quarry. A critic of this age would have pronounced the house fortalesque in style, except for the windows, with which it was unusually garnished, and the ornate finish of the doorways or gates. The western windows were four in number, the northern only two, all set on the line of the second story in such manner as to overhang the thoroughfares below. The gates were the only breaks of wall externally visible in the first story, and, being so thickly riven with iron bolts as to suggest resistance to battering rams, they were protected by cornices of marble, handsomely executed, and of such bold projection as to assure visitors well informed of the people that the rich man who resided there was a Sadducee in politics and creed. Not long after the young Jew parted from the Roman at the palace up on the market-place, he stopped before the western gate of the house described, and knocked. The wicket, a door hung in one of the walls at the gate, was open to admit him. He stepped in hastily, and failed to acknowledge the low salam of the porter. To get an idea of the interior arrangement of the structure, as well as to see what more befell the youth, we will follow him. The passage into which he was admitted appeared not unlike a narrow tunnel, with panelled walls and pitted ceiling. There were benches of stone on both sides, stained and polished by long use. Twelve or fifteen steps carried him into a courtyard, oblong north and south, and in every quarter except the east, bounded by what seemed the fronts of two-story houses, of which the lower floor was divided into lewins, while the upper was terraced and defended by strong balustrading. The servants coming and going along the terraces, the noise of millstones grinding, the garments fluttering from ropes stretched from point to point, the chickens and pigeons in full employment of the place, the goats, cows, donkeys, and horses stabled in the lewins. A massive trough of water, apparently for the common use, declared this court appurtenant to the domestic management of the owner. Eastwardly there was a division wall, broken by another passageway, in all respects like the first one. Clearing the second passage, the young man entered a second court, spacious, square, and set with shrubbery and vines, kept fresh and beautiful by water from a basin erected near a porch on the north side. The lewins here were high, airy, and shaded by curtains striped alternate white and red. The arches of the lewins rested on clustered columns. A flight of steps from the south ascended to the terraces of the upper story, over which great awnings were stretched as a defense against the sun. 
another stairway reached from the terraces to the roof the edge of which all around the square was defined by a sculptured cornice and a parapet of burned clay tiling sexangular and bright red in this quarter moreover there is everywhere observable a scrupulous neatness which allowing no dust in the angles not even a yellow leaf upon a shrub contributed quite as much as anything else to the delightful general effect insomuch that a visitor breathing the sweet air knew in advance of introduction the refinement of the family he was about calling upon a few steps within the second court the lad turned to the right and choosing a walk through the shrubbery part of which was in flower passed to the stairway and ascended to the terrace a broad pavement of white and brown flags closely laid and much worn making way under the awning to a doorway on the north side he entered an apartment which the dropping of the screen behind him returned to darkness nevertheless he proceeded moving over a tiled floor to a divan upon which he flung himself face downwards and lay at rest his forehead upon his crossed arms about nightfall a woman came to the door and called he answered and she went in supper is over and it is night is not my son hungry she asked no he replied are you sick i am sleepy your mother has asked for you where is she in the summer house on the roof he stirred himself and sat up very well bring me something to eat what do you want what you please amra i am not sick but indifferent life does not seem as pleasant as it did this morning a new ailment o oh my amra and you who know me so well who never fail me may think of the things now that answer for food and medicine bring me what you choose amra's questions and the voice in which she put them low sympathetic and solicitous were significant of an endeared relation between the two she laid her hand upon his forehead then is satisfied went out saying i will see after a while she returned bearing on a wooden platter a bowl of milk some thin cakes of white bread broken a delicate paste of braid wheat a bird broiled and honey and salt on one end of the platter there was a silver goblet full of wine on the other a brazen hand lamp lighted the room was then revealed its walls smoothly plastered the ceiling broken by great oaken rafters brown with rain stains and time the floor of small diamond-shaped white and blue tiles very firm and enduring a few stools with legs carved in imitation of the legs of lions a divan raised a little above the floor trimmed with blue cloth and partially covered by an immense striped woolen blanket or shawl in brief a hebrew bedroom the same light also gave the woman to view drawing a stool to the divan she placed the platter upon it then knelt close by ready to serve him her face was that of a woman of fifty dark-skinned dark-eyed and at the moment softened by a look of tenderness almost paternal a white turban covered her head leaving the lobes of the ear exposed and in them the sign that settled her condition an orifice bored by a thick awl she was a slave of egyptian origin to whom not even the sacred fiftieth year could have brought freedom nor would she have accepted it for the boy she was attending was her life she had nursed him through babyhood tended him as a child and could not break the service to her love he could never be a man he spoke but once during the meal you remember o oh my amra he said the masala who used to visit me here days at a time i remember him he went to rome some years ago and is now back i called upon him to-day a shudder of disgust seized the lad i knew something had happened she said deeply interested i never liked masala tell me all but he fell into musing and to her repeated inquiries only said 
he is much changed and i shall have nothing more to do with him when Amber took the platter away he also went out and up from the terrace to the roof the reader is presumed to know somewhat of the uses of the housetop in the east in the matter of customs climate is a lawgiver everywhere the Syrian summer day drives the seeker of comfort into the darkened lewin night however calls him forth early and the shadows deepening over the mountainside seem veils dimly covering circean sinners but they are far off while the roof is closed by and raised above the level of the shimmering plain enough for the visitation of cool airs and sufficiently above the trees to allure the stars down closer down at least into brighter shining so the roof became a resort became playground sleeping chamber boudoir rendezvous for the family place of music dance conversation reverie and prayer the motive that prompts the decoration at whatever cost of interiors in colder climes suggested to the oriental the embellishment of his housetop the parapet ordered by moses became a potter's triumph above that later arose towers plain and fantastic still later kings and princes crowned the roofs with summer-houses of marble and gold when the babylonian hung gardens in the air extravagance could push the idea no further the lad whom we are following walked slowly across the housetop to a tower built over the northwest corner of the palace had he been a stranger he might have bestowed a glance upon the structure as he drew near it and seen all the dimness permitted a darkened mass low latticed pillared and domed he entered passing under a half-raised curtain the interior was all darkness except that on four sides there were arched openings like doorways through which the sky lighted with stars was visible in one of the openings reclining against a cushion from a divan he saw the figure of a woman indistinct even in white floating drapery at the sound of his steps upon the floor the fan in her hand stopped glistening where the starlight struck the jewels with which it was sprinkled and she sat up and called his name judah my son it is i mother he answered quickening his approach going to her he knelt and she put her arms around him, and with kisses pressed him to her bosom. End of chapter 3